Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter, that is how you get in touch with us. It's Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N. 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That is how you get in touch with us. And guys, uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, We have the Olympics are coming up. We absolutely have some football news that I want to share with you. But look, it's a baseball-centric kind of show. We're going to have Chuck T on the show to talk a little fantasy. But I want to start off by doing something that we, we don't often do, and that's kind of looking back. Let's talk about the All-Star game. Um, let's really kind of dig into, you know, what are we looking at moving forward? Because I do believe sometimes looking back will help you look forward. So the first thing I want to do is is beat a dead horse, and that's what I do here, okay? <laughs> and that is, I think Shohei Tani is tired, guys, or will be tired. And I think Vlad Guerrero is a great bet to overtake him for the MVP. Now, I've given my reasons multiple times before. The idea that Shohei Otani is just doing something that we've never seen before is just reality, okay? But it's also physically grueling. You know, Babe Ruth once also said, you know, I don't know how long I could kind of do this for. You want to compare him to Babe Ruth? I think it's a terrible comparison, but... Okay, I get it. It's the easy one. It, it's the easy one to go with. Well, if you want to do that, then Babe Ruth said, yeah, I don't know how long I could do this. Now, Otani looks good. Otani looks fresh. But did he? Did he look not tired when we saw him the last time? And that was at the All-Star game and the home run derby specifically? No, he was exhausted. He was fatigued. I made the joke on Twitter, look, this guy needs a better diet of hot dogs, beer, and cigars, right? I mean... Otani's in a great physical shape, but the reality, and there are realities there with Shohei Otani, you know, and, and the reality is, guys, he's doing things physically that are going to wear him out. It just It's just the way it is. Physically, they're going to wear him out. Now, last year was a lost year for many players. He played 46 games at 153 at-bats. But in 2019, he didn't do much more. Played 106 games, 384 at-bats, truncated season. In 2018, 114 games, 326 at-bats, another truncated season. So for his four major league career uh, or stateside kind of years, we had 326 at-bats. 384 at-bats, 153 at-bats. He's on pace this year for 550 at-bats. 550. Now, forget about being a pitcher, okay? The jump up, we talk about a rookie wall and a triple-A rookie wall and all that. The guy's coming back from an injury. We know that. He's coming back from a lost season. I think the lost season's going to hurt most of these players. I think we're going to see that weird wall being hit in late August uh, for quite a number of players. But I have to use the same things that I use for the minor league guys as I would for Shohei Otani. And that is quite simply, hi, everybody, there's a wall, (laughs) right? I mean, the rookie wall is not a fake thing. He hasn't played 
this much baseball since 2017 or earlier. Okay? He just hasn't. And you're not even talking about a guy that sometimes you'll go, okay, well, he had 500. No, no, no. We have to go back. Look, Shohei Otani is 27 years old. So you have to go back to when he was 22 or earlier, which means if you go back to his Japanese days, look, he never had 550 at-bats. So basically what you're asking Shohei Otani to do now is coming off of a season where you had the least amount of bats in your career, okay, 153 would be the least, probably uh, less at-bats than even in high school because even in high school, yeah, you get that season, but then you play winter ball. Okay, so you're coming off a season where you had the least at-bats in your career. Then you had a weird off-season and a weird season leading up to that in a training format, and now you're asking him to go and have the most at-bats in his career? I think it's a big ask. You're asking him to have the most at-bats that he's ever had since he's 22? I mean, that's reality, guys. And it's not a little bit more. It's significantly more. In 2018, he had 326 at-bats. So we're asking him to have 230 more at-bats. In 2019, 384. We're asking him to have you know, 170 more at-bats. 170 more at-bats. Well, he had 153 in 2020. And he's already had 300 at-bats now. Now let's talk about the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is very simply pitching. Okay? Again, he came stateside, okay, when he was 23 years old. So you want to talk about how many games he's started since he's come stateside? How about 16 games started? How about... Less than 70 total innings. He's got 69 total innings ever as a Major League Baseball player. You can tell me, oh, he did those things in Japan. Yes, he did when he was 22. Sure he did when he was 22. So he comes in in 2018, throws 51 innings. Okay, only 10 games started. 2019 loses the entire season. 2020, he pitched 1.2 innings. So he comes in this year, 67 innings. All right, they're sort of limiting him. He's only on pace for 123. But that kind of jump up, that's the alarming jump up. That is the alarming jump up that we all worry about. Every team worries about it. Every team starter worries about it. We could sit back and have a conversation about all the innings limits that players around the league. The Detroit Tigers just told Casey Mize, that they're going to start limiting his innings. And look, he's not going to be the first. We're going to talk about a lot of players like Casey Mize getting their innings limited. Do we think that Shohei Otani could go from 1.2 innings in the last two seasons to 130 or so? No. You also have to factor in the idea that, oh, by the way, the Angels are terrible. So the Angels are a bad team. Why would the Angels, when they have the biggest name in the sport, an offensive player like this, why would they push it if they don't somehow or another kind of force their way back in, back into the standings? And I just don't see that happening. Where the Angels sit right now, uh, you know, they're a fourth-place team. They're about 500, no matter how you look at it. Okay, oh, 500 team. 
But let's see where that puts them in the, in the wild card race. You're talking about the Angels are, you know, five and a half games back. Oh, okay, that's obtainable. But we're burying the Yankees are only four and a half games back. If the Angels could crawl back in, you have an argument. If the Angels crawl out of this thing, Shohei Yatani, look, he looked very tired. He looked spent during <laughs> All-Star Weekend, and I-, I don't blame the guy. I'm not saying I blame him. I'm just saying if I'm the Angels, I'm going, you know what? You had a very successful year, but it's not worth taxing 130 innings on your arm and going crazy here. It's not worth playing you in the field, which they said they were going to do. It's not worth just being that guy right now. You had a great year. Everyone loves what you've done. Go out there and hit 50 bombs. 50 bombs with a couple of, uh, uh, you know, 50 bombs in a situation where it, you know, a couple more good starts. How many more starts are you going to give him? I, I'm, I'm legitimately asking. I don't think he should get any more than five or six more starts. Tops. Tops. Real quick, also on the All-Star game, uh, Vladimir Guerrero won the uh, MVP. Vladimir Guerrero is my pick to win the MVP. I have massive odds on him. I've talked about it many times, but he he doesn't look like he's slowing down. Here's another guy where he's played baseball his entire career, actually lost 30 pounds, <laughs> lost weight. So he's playing at a great weight. He should be able to play more than he's ever played. I'm not in American League, National League, All-Star game better. But the American League has won eight straight All-Star games, 20 of 24, and the under has gone 12 of the last 15 times with one push. So the under has only lost twice. Do with that information with what you'd like to do with that information because I'm not a guy that bets it, but it makes a little sense to talk about it. At the break here, I do want to talk about um, the trends that we have. First half trends going into the break. The over-under trends are just one side of the spectrum to the other side. And I wanted to see if we could find something from a betting perspective to kind of lean towards. Minnesota is the biggest scoring team in the league at 64%. And the Washington Nationals are the lowest scoring team in the league when you're talking about over-unders, 64% to the under. You know, these two teams make a lot of sense that they would continue this trend. Normally, you see a number like 64%. It's hard to keep at a 64% winning clip, meaning that if you just bet every Minnesota game over, you're going to win at 64%. Or if you bet every Washington Nationals game all year long under, you're going to win at a 64% clip. 64% is, is just a hard number to get to. The Minnesota Twins, though, it makes sense. Minnesota has bad pitching. Outside of Berrios, who's had a decent year, their pitching has been flat-out bad. Their bullpen is a mess. Rodgers is their closer, then he's not their closer. Robles is their closer, then he's not their closer. Duffy hasn't looked anything good like he's looked. Um, Minnesota's bullpen's a mess. Their starting pitching isn't very good, but we know they could slug the ball. Minnesota set a home run record just a couple of years ago. Their lineup is basically intact. Cruz is having a nice year. Sano can't hit his way out of a paper bag unless it's a home run, right? I mean, the guy's batting 190. He's got 15, 16 bombs. Minnesota is a purely offensive-laden team. But Minnesota is also a team that has a lot of young guys coming back. Uh, Kirilov looks good. Buxton should be back here eventually. Minnesota is going to continue to hit and continue to fail to pitch well. I don't know if you could set Minnesota totals high enough. I don't know if they keep up 64%. But I'm still betting Minnesota overs from here on out. Minnesota overs in the month of July and August should continue to be very good. Now, you say, well, they could be a big trade target. They could. 
Uh, Berrios is a guy that maybe they get rid of. A couple of those bullpen hands that I mentioned, sure. Cruz could go. And this could alter the lineup. But where do we sit right now? I'm rolling with the Minnesota overs. How about the Nationals unders? On the same vein, it's very difficult to keep up 64% on the unders. And at first glass, you, you go, you know what? Washington's hitting a lot of unders, but a lot of their players are underperforming. Juan Soto's kind of the only guy. You look around that lineup, look, nobody expects Ryan Zimmerman to keep hitting the way that he has. He's had a terrific first half. Robles, I don't know. He looks like kind of a lost cause. Trey Turner's had a great first half. So while Juan Soto will give them a little push upwards, I don't think it's enough when you say to yourself, well, Washington, they still have Max Scherzer. Strasburg's coming back. Brad Hand, after a little hiccup there, has kind of found his way. The Washington Nationals have climbed back into this thing. And where I'm looking at from an over-under and a total standpoint, guys, to me, Washington's still going to be an under team. Now, if they fall out of the race, and they did right before the All-Star break, they they had a, their nice run early June, and then on a four-game losing streak to San Diego, and they didn't look good. And where they sit, look, they're five, six games under 500, five, six games out of first place. Doesn't seem like a lot, but it starts to get looking like a lot when you're looking up at two, three teams in front of you. The Washington Nationals, where I stand right now, are still an under team. They still like a, look like a team I'm going to be betting the under. But the Max Scherzer decision and the decision to trade him, the potential trading landing spot, will have a lot to do with it. But not the biggest thing to do with it. So Washington is still another under. Let's talk about the other over teams here. Angels, Houston, Cleveland, Tampa, Arizona, Baltimore, San Diego, Cincinnati, Kansas City. Now, on the weekend show, I mentioned that, you know, depending on what metrics you go with, is how you make money in this this business. Generally speaking, everyone says about 53%. 53%, you'll make money as a professional sports better. You will make money and you can make a living at 53%. I think that's kind of bogus. You know, because different lines present different situations and different lines. I always say 53.5%, but okay, 53. To, to really truly make money in this business, 55% is the number you have to make. And even at 55, you're making paper thin margins, but 55% is kind of the number you need to make to make money in this business. So we're talking about 10 teams are, you know, in that 53% range when we're talking about the overs here, uh, cashing in. Kansas City, Cincinnati, San Diego, all 53%. I I mean, am I counting them as money-making overs? No, I'm not. All right. How about Baltimore, Arizona, Tampa Bay, all at 55%. I'm not really counting them as overs. Yeah, I mean, look, they're they're under 55% or right at it in Tampa Bay's case, um, basically teetering one game in the next, depending on when you're listening to the show. I can't count those teams as short over teams. Now, Cleveland, Houston, the Angels, they're all about 59%, and then Minnesota at the 64. Those are my four over teams. Houston has the best offense in the league. The Angels, uh, pitching-wise, is atrocious. Anybody watched the minor league draft, they drafted 20 pitchers in a row. Uh, it's never been done before. The Angels uh, clearly found a deficiency, and we just talked about Minnesota. So the only other one is Cleveland. Can we bet on a Cleveland under run here? I think we can. I think that, that Shane Bieber leaving was a problem. Um, you throw Shane Bieber in here, they're probably under 55%. So remember, all the numbers, all the numbers that you could look at, break them down in reality. 
So now let's look at the other side. The teams that will win under Yunders. Toronto, Yankees, Mets, Miami, Colorado, Chicago, and then, of course, Washington. But Toronto, the Yankees, and the Mets, even Miami, are 55% or under. Okay? Miami's right on the border. We've talked to many guys over the last couple of weeks about the New York Yankees. Their bats are alive. The New York Yankees, since Aaron Judge called a team-holding meeting on June 29th, the Yankees have the best offense in baseball, scoring more than seven runs per game. They've increased their totals, and they have gone over, over, over. They've become an over-machine. Can they carry that over? I think they can. Look, Glaber Torres is not this bad. He's not a 240 hitter with three home runs. I'm sorry, he's not. Do I think that Glaber Torres is a superstar? Probably not. But Glaber Torres is much better than what we've seen. DJ LeMayu is much better than what we've seen. He's got the track record. Don't tell me it was fluky for two years. No, he's got a track record, and now he's busting out of this thing. Judge has been great all year. Giancarlo Stanton, when he's on the field, can stay healthy. Luke Voigt is a guy that I believe in, and I think the Yankees absolutely believe in. He's going to come around. The Yankees betting the overs, this is something that I, I'm, I'm circling. But the question is, have the books really adjusted to the Yankees over-unders? And the answer is no, not really. How about the Mets? Mets are getting healthy. J.D. Davis coming back. Conforto's coming back. Mets are getting healthy. Lindor looking a lot more like Lindor that we thought the Mets were going to go get. Yeah, I think the Mets and Yankees overs are certainly going to continue. And I think that Toronto uh, will probably continue. But again, they have no pitching. So, you know, the the numbers are pretty high. Yankees and Mets are buy-ons. Miami, look, Miami is great pitching. Decent bullpen. Terrible hitting. Nothing's going to change there. I'm betting the unders. Betting the unders there. Colorado. Well, once you go to Colorado and you see the home run derby, everyone's perception is, oh, Colorado over. Go over, over, over. Colorado's the third best team to hit unders in the league. They can't win on the road. They went into the all-star break with less than 10 road wins. Trevor Story's on the block. He's going to be gone, right? They may even get rid of a guy like Jermaine Marquez or Jonathan Gray, guys that are pitchers. It might happen, guys. I still see unders there. I see unders in Colorado because of the perception of what it is against the perception of who they really are. The Cubs, another team, they might be trading Chris Bryant. You know, you trade Chris Bryant, your offense isn't getting better, right? So the Cubs unders make a lot of sense. Now, if they trade Kimbrell, you might get in a little trouble there. But if they trade Kimbrell and they trade Bryant, those first five unders now all of a sudden are very attractive. So I wanted to kind of give you guys a rundown of the over-unders here. Minnesota is number one at 64%. Washington is number one to the unders at 64%. I fully expect those two to continue. I am banking that the Yankees and Mets will not be in the bottom five of the under teams. I think they start scoring runs. I think they start going over. And I'm going to start betting some overs here for both of those teams. I already started with the Yankees, but for both of those teams. And then for the overs, do I think that another team's going to start coming to the under? Maybe Cleveland. But overall, Minnesota, Angels, Houston, I think their overruns continue. They have, you know, bad pitching, and then Houston's just got a great offense. That's kind of the over-under report where we are at the half. All right, guys, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. We'll be back with more right after this. Now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, guys, look, we're all looking back. We're all seeing the Stanley Cup being 
was it thrown around? Did they Brady it in the Bay there? I don't know. But like them or hate them, the city of Tampa Bay is just running the sports world, and they got the best tailgates with all of that <laughs> in the Bay. I have some odds for you. The Lightning to win the Cup next season. They come in as plus 60 favorites. Bucks to win the title, plus 60. Rays to win the title, plus 1,400. Roll the ball up for 100 bucks. You'd win quite a big bundle there, guys. That is what are the odds. I'm bringing in Chuck T, our Rotomill fantasy expert, to talk to us not only about uh, the fantasy perspectives of what's moving forward, but also the public opinion on a daily fantasy aspect of what is what are we looking at moving forward. And we can take away some betting bites from that as well. The first thing before we go into anything, I got to ask you, Chuck, um, Ronald Acuna goes down, down for the season, massive blow to fantasy teams. I get it. Um Massive blow even to next year in the top 10. He potentially could miss uh, a month or two into next year. Tell me, how does somebody that owns Acuna this year, and then how does somebody owning Acuna dynasty-wise, how do you look at him? How do you perceive it? How do you fix this? Yeah, if you're playing in a, in a season-long format where you're going to lose him at the end of the season, you dro- you've dropped him already. You've already contacted your league commissioner. You've asked him, how many dollars can I get for him now because of where I took him, and you took him in the first round, and you took him in the first five picks. So you're going to get back a, a number of fab dollars to go on and, and go to plan B. Obviously, your chances in a National League-only format are pretty much, you know, you, you'd have to say they're majorly impacted. You're probably... You're gonna have to consider a trade of a pitcher for an offensive player if you're if that's happened to you. I thought it was interesting last night in the All Star game that they had held a very long interview with uh, Chris Bryant. They had the live mic on him in left field, and I was thinking to myself, that's a natural guy for the Cubs to go. I mean, for the Braves to go after because he's a free agent at the end of the year anyway. So you're not gonna, you know, you could give a, a low Class A arm that throws 95, give a flyer on a guy that's in the low minors. You could definitely get them to buy on that. And then if you don't want to try to re-sign them, and maybe you can, but if you look at their outfield of, in terms of what they're looking at to go for for the Braves for the second half, it's shivering. It, they it lost does. Azuna and now Acuna. Different reasons, of course, but yeah. 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 Well, so what are you doing in the Dynasty League, Chuck? I, I mean, yeah. next year, look, he's going to be dinged. He might miss a, a, a month or two. It's also an injury that maybe limits his speed a little. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. a big part of yeah. his game. You know, there were two devastating injuries, his and a minor leaguer had a broken tibia, and we'll, we'll get to him later in the show. Um, for Acuna, yeah, you're looking at a guy that, that was clearly on pace for close to 40 steals. He's done 40 steals already, and maybe you temper those expectations going forward that maybe this is a 20-steal guy going forward. You have to you have to be realistic about that. Um, so I think in a dynasty format, you're not going to get anyone to touch him in a trade right now. That's just about impossible to pull off. You are a magician if you can pull that off. And it's going to have to be one of those type of deals where you're moving a pitcher. You're trying to get a pitcher back for Acuna. It's hard to give up an offensive player in a dynasty season like this. If someone has pitching depth, maybe you could pull that off. But again, I would I would say that, you know, similar to how we talked about a few weeks ago about how there's a, a ding in the armor for Mike Trout. Maybe there is such a ding in the armor now for Acuna. He's been controversial because he's been thrown out a lot by the Miami Marlins have thrown at him. They've hurt him on occasion, and he has had a number of leg injuries now. 
So, you know, there is a cumulative nature that maybe you do need to worry about. I think you have to reassess your thoughts about him going forward. He may not be a top five pick in, in, in dynasty drafts going forward from scratch. And if you have him in a dynasty league, you got to wait it out. It's a bad place to be in. I, uh, I'm in a bunch of leagues. Most of them I'm doing well. The league that I'm doing terrible in, I, I offered, it's a dynasty league. I offered uh, Matt Olson for him straight up, and I was told no. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. thought it was a good offer. Yeah. 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 You, you, maybe you can pull that, you can pull that off certainly in a season long format. But yeah, the dynasty guy, you know, is going to sit and wait and, and say, you know, this is still a dynamic hitter. This is still a guy who can hit 35 to 40 jacks a year. And this is a guy that can control the strike zone. He has good on base percentage numbers. He's a, a patient hitter um, for a guy that is so flashy. Um, he is, he's is he got discipline at the plate. So he's got a lot of those long-term attributes that you like to see. But this, this you know, he was going to lose this. You know, when you go over the history of, of stolen bases, and most guys do it for three, four years, and that's it. And so it was always a the, the candle was lit, and it was about to go out anyway in terms of thinking that way. So that's what I think about Acuna from a long-term perspective. All right, real quick, let's talk a little uh, first-half surprises, uh, best uh, accomplishments. Obviously, we know DeGrom. Obviously, we know Otani. You know, um, biggest surprises from the first half. Oh, clearly, I, for me, it's Kevin Gaussman. And even though he's a player that I've talked about a lot with you over the years about using him in, in daily fantasy and, and things of this nature, never in my wildest dreams did I see an ERA under two. Did I see a, a whip of about 0.8? Um, he is just, he's just hitting incredible performance markers that were really never in his projections. He was not projected to be this good as a Baltimore Oriole prospect. And, and, you know, again, he's, he's, he's top five starting pitcher without a doubt. You can't yeah, he really is. If, if, in a world that amazing. didn't have DeGrom, <laughs> we're talking Gaussman. I got Jake Cronensworth. You know, for me, he he's the guy. You plug him in, he plays five positions. He's eligible everywhere. He's going to get you good numbers. He's not hurting you anywhere. Yeah. Throws a little steals in, throws a couple of bombs in. How about biggest disappointment? I would say biggest disappointment's tough because there's been a number of them. Uh, mostly, almost all of them in the batting average respect, too. There's a number of guys hitting 220 that that fit that bill. Um, certainly a big disappointment has definitely been... He, he's useless now, and he's being pulled out of the Los Angeles Angels rotation. I didn't see Dylan Bundy ever becoming this bad. I think he's removed himself from any consideration in daily fantasy, season-long, dynasty. He is just not draftable going into next season. That's a guy who did hold some small value going into the year. Look, he was always a guy that we saw with an ERA of 4, but his ERA is 6.8. Um, that is just atrocious, and you can't pitch that, you know. So he, from the pitching perspective, he's been the biggest disappointment. And then again, a number of these guys, offensively, that are hitting 220 are a surprise. I'm going to give you uh, mine, which is jumps off the page. I'm a Yankee fan, so obviously I've watched a lot of it. But Gleyber Torres, Gleyber Torres, 240. He's on pace for less than 50 RBIs, on pace for less than 50 runs, on pace for about six or seven home runs. And he's in there every day. Uh, to me, you spent chances are you spent a, a at least a third, maybe a fourth-round pick. Maybe he fell to the fourth, but probably a third-round pick on him. He's going to be your shortstop. You took him over big names. Labor Torres has been atrocious. Yeah, and really for the entire soul of the Yankee organization, they're, they're soul-searching going into this trade deadline. The Yankees were always buyers. And now you're starting to see people pen articles where they suggest 
maybe we even move Glaber Torres. And so for that to even be in the conversation is an amazing change of events. I'm carrying his bags and driving him to the airport <laughs> if we're going to get Trevor's story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so that is, you know, that's another topic too, the whole dilemma of when you play in American League only or you play in National League only and you look at some of these trade possibilities where the guys are moving to the other league. Um, this is a this is a big dilemma for second half fantasy players as well. Yes, um, but uh, Torres is just being we talked about. You know, there's even some consideration. Why do we need Aaron Judge? You know, if if we're gonna put put up this poor offensively the numbers, I think you saw a nice performance from him last night though in the game. He played made a spectacular catch in right field. Um, I think there's a little bit more to him than just a 50 home run guy. But again, the entire Yankee organization is scratching its head, wondering what happened. Now you talk about the entire Yankee organization. I'll give you another huge disappointment, which we will get to. Uh, Aroldis Chapman has completely imploded. And here's the thing with fantasy is that when you're talking about fantasy, you go, well, he's a giant disappointment, but he's got 16 saves, but, you know, he helped me out. He's got a lot of Ks. The thing is, is that you didn't bench him. So, you know, if you're in a, a weekly long format, okay, he's destroyed your last two weeks. Okay, y- you could live with that. But if you're in a yearly long format, all the good he did has been wiped out. Sure, he's going to add the Ks, and sure, he got you a couple of saves. He just destroyed your ERA. He absolutely destroyed your whip. And it's something where when you're talking about Aroldis Chapman, you have nowhere to go. You have to keep him. You can't dump him. So what are you going to do? You're going to bench him? All right, there you go. But he's already hurt you too bad. Now the second half of the season, right? We went back. We took a look. What can we take from the second half of the season? Let's talk from a fantasy perspective here. And guys that you're targeting for the second half. And I'm not talking about, well, Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. No, no, no. Give us some guys that might be flying under the radar a little bit that you are targeting for a daily fantasy, maybe try to make a trade in, in a little season-long league. The bat has gotten hot for Andrew Vaughn. The last 30 days going into the All-Star break, he's hitting 316. He's hit five home runs. He's put up a 360 on base percentage. He's doing everything that he was expected to do for the whole season. You, I liked, I love looking at 30-day samples because I just take 30-day samples and multiply them by six, and I come up with my numbers. So when I do that, I get 30 home runs. I get a 316 batting average. I get uh, 90 RBIs. I think I get everything that, that, that I was looking for. The phenomenal job that Tony La Russa has done has also – He's handled this kid the right way. He has really done a terrific job with the kid, never lost patience with him, never yanked him through some slumps that he went through. He looks fantastic to me. I also think there are some players who have gone to the home run hitting contest and it's ruined them for the second half of the season. I don't think it ruined Juan Soto. If anything, I think it told Juan Soto that you got to drive the ball. <laughs> you got to. It's great to be this Frank Thomas type patient hitter, but sometimes you just got to drive the ball. And I think Juan Soto, that 560 foot home run was majestic. I mean, I think he by discovering his power stroke, he's a real interesting guy for the second half, in my opinion. Um, coming back, he's down at a ball on a rehab assignment. But Eloy Jimenez with the White Sox is going to be a phenomenal return. That's a guy I'm looking at for the second half. I would look to play him. He had surgery on a torn pectoral muscle where he was trying to make an overextended catch over an outfield wall in spring training. Um, But 
by the looks of him, everyone says he looks fantastic. And still a 23-year-old guy with phenomenal power. Um, I like the play there. A guy that is very under the radar, people are not really paying a lot of attention to him, Cleveland's Bobby Bradley has waited forever to get an opportunity. Bobby Bradley went out. He's had 104 at-bats, and he's hit 10 home runs already. That's a 50-home run pace, folks. And this guy... He was a routine guy with 35-plus homers in the minor leagues, and he never, ever got an opportunity. And Cleveland now has given him a chance, and he's making the most of it. So it's a good story. I like it. He's a guy I would look for in the second half, for sure. How about pitching-wise? What's your thoughts with Mackenzie Gore, who was having a terrible year, uh, was definitely not coming up, then Weathers gets hurt, and they're going now, they're saying, well, maybe we need him. San Diego is going to be in a dogfight here at the end. Paddock has innings problems. Weather's banged up now. Darvish is banged up. I think they almost have to force Gore up here. I see people going, oh, man, I'm going to jump all over him. He's looked terrible this year. I'm not going near him, Chuck. There hasn't been an encouraging start to sink your teeth into. There's been no positive to pull out of any of his recent box scores. I'm very much of the same thought process. I've looked at him all season. I'm wondering why he's struggling. There was some noise about a back injury at the end of last season, the 2020 season. They were making mention that he was a little uncomfortable because he had some lumbar sprain. I don't know if there's any anything there to, to, to dig into. I don't understand the control problems. It doesn't appear to be mental. It appears to be a physical issue. I think it's his back. Um, and I would, I'm steering clear of him. There's a lot more interesting pitchers um, on, the, on the way that we could talk about. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, we're sitting here with Chuck T. Roto, Mill Fantasy Expert. I'm going to throw out a couple more names. Tell me if they're buy low guys if I'm on the right path. Uh, Brandon Lowe has gotten real hot. He's got 20 bombs now, but he's still batting about 200. I think I could buy low on him. DJ LeMahieu, overall numbers, not looking too impressive. I think you could probably buy low on him, especially old guys at this time. They don't get the hype. And Luis Castillo, I've talked about him multiple times on this show. Luis Castillo has completely turned his season around. I wouldn't be surprised if he shipped out either. You put him in a different ballpark. So those are the three guys that I'm looking at. Tell me, am I on the right path? Okay, there, there is a, there's a guy in my National League only league that when he calls you for a player, you know this guy is going to have a second half surge. When this, it's it's a it's as reliable an indicator as any. He is the ultimate garbage scow. This guy, and he contacted me a few weeks ago, and he asked me for Garrett Hampson, and he asked me for Luis Castillo, and I took that as bottoms for both of those guys, and I said, I politely declined. I didn't even send a counter offer, but I I, I put along a note. I politely declined. I said, listen, simply. Castillo owes me so much from the first half that I want to be the recipient of his second half surge. So thank you. And yes, he has been. He has obviously that was a horrific start. It's amazing that that team stuck with him, let him continue to pitch and work out these problems. It's something to be said positive for that. Um, but yeah, Luis Castillo is definitely a guy that has turned it around. His ERA is at four point four. I mean, that wasn't even looking attainable a month ago at all. I cut it in half. It's almost like Jacob DeGrom that went out there, and uh, uh, you know the article I wrote this week, and, and it said Jacob DeGrom has doubled his ERA. And you go, it's still one, <laughs> but, he, but he did it. double. Yeah. Well, Luis Castillo cut his ERA in half, Yeah, yeah. but it's still 4.4. 4. Right. All right, let's talk about the young guys that, that are might be coming up. Look, Brujan just came up. Wander Franco came up, not looking great, but he's still Wander, right? Kelnick will be back, they said. If he's not back right now, they're coming back. Um, 
give me your thoughts on these three guys that are all good, but uh, you know what? Might be a little early for them in a season-long league, and I'm not touching them in daily fantasy. Right. Uh, Kelnick, though, if you watch the Futures game, nearly took the head off of the first base coach, a female for the the, uh, American League team, and uh, absolutely stung a ball. Um, Yeah, there's there's some things to take away from the box score from the Futures game. I think the quality at bat is what you take away, and Kelnick is certainly still stroking line drive singles, and he's he's doing he's. He's got control of the plate. He looks good long-term. In your dynasty league, you, you don't want to trade him, but you're not playing him in DFS. You're not playing him in a season-long format. No doubt about that. Um, I I also do really like um, Joe Adele's chances of being called up here in the second half. He's at 18 home runs. He's got his uh, strikeout rate down below 30. It's at 29% right now. Um, he's showing the things that... Uh, he was asked to do. He was asked to shorten his stroke. He was asked to clean up his approach with two strikes. He's done all that. He's done those things. He's even been getting a little bit of work in center field, which was interesting too. So um, Adele, to me, looks very good. I also, I've been a a guy that's been on Joey Bart for three years, and he finally got called up, but of course that was because Buster Posey got hurt. I don't know if Joey's going to stick with them for the whole second half. So that's a guy that I wouldn't go out and pay for. I, I would be patient with him in a dynasty format though and continue to use that patience um and of course the guy that that i'm still shocked that he's still in the minors and has been called up is jaron duran with boston red sox guy's done nothing but hit and he steals bases at a very good clip plays a very good center field he does all those things that make you want to put him on your regular baseball team just as a fan in boston you want to see him i really want to see if this guy can steal 40 bases in a year though that's the appeal to me yeah, and, and they could use him right now. Even though they're playing well, you could see them going, ah, well, you have a hole in the lineup. All right, let's uh, get into the innings limit. Because I've touched on this from a sports betting perspective. This is massive. Everyone talks to me about Houston. Before the year, I said, guys, I'm not touching Houston because guys like Valdez, guys like Feliz, their number two and three, can we call them? Even McCullers coming back from an injury. They're maybe one, two, and three starters all have a definitive innings limit. Okay, they, they are not going to let them pitch 180 innings, guys. Casey Mize, Detroit informed him right before the All-Star break, you are not uh, going to go that many innings. And he was actually angry, and, and Detroit Free Press talked about it. I love the fight in him, by the way, but that's somebody... We have to start thinking about that when you start talking about Daily Fantasy. Is he going to finish five is the question now. Uh, Look, they may try to get him in for the win here or there, but if he's pitching an okay game, they're pulling him after four. And from a regular season-long fantasy, these are guys that I'm selling right now because I am terrified of the innings limit. I would be selling with a 2.20 ERA. I would be selling Trevor Rogers, okay, without a doubt. Um, Six-foot-six-inch big lefty, saw him in the All-Star game. Got hit, okay? I think the arm is fatigued. I think you can see it. His ERA is four in his last two starts. Um, What he did in the first half is magical. And if you're in a season-long format, you're selling it because you're losing him anyway at the end of the season. Sell that 2.20 ERA. You will find buyers because people are, you know, looking at that and they're obsessed with paying for it. The other guy I would be a little concerned about second half, too, never thrown as many innings before, is Dylan Cease. I would also be concerned about him with the White Sox. And, you know, the guy that 
I, I just don't know what to make of his injuries this year. They're so strange. And the, the press releases have been so mystical and misleading on him. Zach Gallen, what do you make of Zach Gallen? Now he hurts his hamstring? I mean, with the amount of time he was missing with a, with a sprained ulnar collateral ligament. I mean, that's the Tommy John ligament. You, if that thing tears or has a, even a partial tear, you're getting that thing operated on in the majority of the cases. You know, there's been, you know, Masahiro Tanaka didn't have to get it done. It's a rare thing. Um, but breaks his forearm, spring training, swing, making an awkward bat swing in spring training at bats for a pitcher. I mean, senseless to get hurt that way. And now he hurts his hamstring when he's had all this opportunity to get his legs in shape. He's had all this opportunity to work on his on his on his stuff. Physically, not there. You know, the last thing I'm going to say, and I know you'll agree, um, is the Dodgers pitching staff. They were supposed to be able to limit Kershaw. Um, now it's a, a mysterious DL stint to, to limit him. They were supposed to be able to limit Walker Bueller. They're supposed to be able to limit Julio Urias because all three of them have a definitive, we're not letting you go 180-plus innings. All three of them had the luxury of Dustin May and Tony Goslin. All three of them uh, now don't have that when they're looking at David Price going, all right, we're going to stretch you out, man, because we don't have it. The Dodgers, who were so full... I would be careful with all Dodgers pitchers moving forward, and I'd be careful with the Dodgers. Look, I think they're going to start to win at a bigger clip or, or as much. I think they're still going to win this division, but their starting pitching in a fantasy aspect that worries me a lot. In a daily fantasy, it worries me even more. I think we're all very interested to see who the Dodgers make a move for and secure their future. Now let's go back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet to the future. Bet to the future. Well, we'll talk about the Dodgers making a move. Let's talk about some NBA moves. Where will Pascal Siakam play game one of the 2021-2022 season? Well, the Toronto Raptors are the minus 2-1 to one favorites. Dallas, plus 225. Golden State Warriors, plus 300. Charlotte Hornets, 10-1. to one. Portland, 20-1. to one. And the Detroit Pistons are 20-1. to one. That is bet to the future. You know, you know, the NBA is uh, winding down here, and all of a sudden we start to kind of look and say, all right, uh, what's going to be the, the next? What is the next? And it's a disservice to the finals. We, we still have, you know, some games to be played here, um, and we, we're still, at least one, we're still in a position where we're kind of looking ahead, and it, it's almost a disservice to the finals. It's not just the NBA, but we do see this in all sports. I will say that, oh, by the way, the NBA, who I've been saying has been in trouble for quite some time here, uh, ratings-wise, just got crushed. When you take the NBA slam dunk contest, they average about a 5.3 rating. The home run derby got over a 7. So... Major League Baseball, which people are concerned about, it's a dying sport. Stephen A. Smith opening up his, his idiot mouth and saying, you know, bad things about Otani and he's not good for the fit. Say you know, everything you want. Major League Baseball is pulling down a seven for an exhibition home run derby. Right? I, I mean, and the NBA wants to look at themselves and kind of say, well, you know, it doesn't matter. Look at what we do. We, we have a lot of online and we have... You know what? Advertisers will will kind of cling to that, and they'll hope and they'll pray. But at the end of the day, the NBA is in a little bit of trouble, and we have a finals that the networks didn't want, the NBA probably didn't want. But I look at it, and I look at this finals as a good thing, and I think a lot of people are missing it. A lot of people, at least, are missing a perspective. 
where you could make money on. I gave you guys game three. I said, look, the Bucks are winning this game. They were coming into game three. They were seven and one uh, in the playoffs in that situation. They just don't lose at home in the playoffs. That's just reality. And when you turn around and you look at how they've won, they've dominated, absolutely dominated in the playoffs. So the home kind of court is is a big thing. Giannis, who's someone that I, I don't have a lot of ways to explain what we're talking about with Giannis. He was a multiple-time MVP. If you talk to me before the year, and you talk to most NBA analysts before the season, what was going to be the overall consensus here? The overall consensus was that Giannis was marching towards the best player in the sport. Giannis, look, you're going to have the LeBron lovers. Of course, you're going to have the Durant people, right? You have those two. But generally speaking, the league was under a new rule, and the rule was the Giannis. Okay, right? Giannis was going to rule. The Greek freak was the best player. If he wasn't, if, if you had somebody that would argue, they'd say top five. Top five! Top five was an insult, okay? But top five for Giannis. That's kind of what the conversation was. Giannis has taken his team to this point. Giannis has gone out there and said, you know what? I'm going to be exactly what I want. His overall season averages kind of in line with his MVP averages. And I've discussed this. His overall season averages were, were not very different than what they were. Overall on the season, this year, 28 points, 11 boards, about six assists. That's about right. Right? He actually had more rebounds per game for this season than he has in his career. More points per game than he has in his career. But somehow... Giannis isn't quite the same. Then he comes into the playoffs, and, well, he wasn't sure if he was going to play, and he was banged up, and there was questions surrounding him. But even people that questioned Giannis and his legs and would he have his full 100% arsenal, even people that questioned him still like the Suns. Ah, even if Giannis was healthy, give me the Suns. I mean, that's generally how it was. Even if that's what it was. And you turn around and you're looking at this and you're going... Okay, Giannis has turned back into Giannis. In games two and three in the series, 41 and 10 back-to-back. Giannis has turned back into Giannis. Now, Giannis's free throws, ha, 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 they've become a a laughing stock. But if Giannis, you know, has a postseason like this, win or lose, win or lose, how are we looking at him in a worse light than when we were a year ago? Or even at the beginning of this year. It's a confusing series to me. As far as Game 5 goes, I just talked about the uh, absolute beautiful job that the Milwaukee Bucks do at home. Okay? I have sat back and just applauded what the Bucks have done at home. It's home. It's home. It's home. They crush at home. They dominate at home. They're 8-1 now at home. Oh, man, they're amazing at, one, at home. Oh, this is what they do. Milwaukee was 26 and 10 at home during the regular year. Okay? They had had just absolutely had a weird year where people weren't giving them credit for what they were doing. But we're back in Phoenix here. The crowd has been fantastic for Phoenix. CP3 has to step up and we need more from Devin Booker. You can't have him sitting out of fourth quarter, right? The Phoenix Suns lost a grand total of 9 home games all season. 9 home games all season. Okay, 
They won 8 of 10 during the playoffs already. And in 8 of those 10 games, they held their opponents to 109 points or less. They've held their opponents to 109 points or less in each of the last three home games. So while I want to just sit back and applaud Giannis for being Every single thing that Giannis is, man, and I do, I think he's getting a bad rap here. I think Giannis is better than we're giving him credit for. I can sit back and talk about Giannis, 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 41 and 10. And do I think he's going to get over rebounds? Yeah, give me the over for the rebounds prop play. Do I think he's going to get over for his points prop play? And said it like 32, 33. Yeah, you know, give me over. That's all fine. But I just feel going on the road here is going to be a little bit too much. The Suns are just going to step up at home. Booker's a problem. I get it. Booker is at this point right now, he's inconsistent. I think inconsistent at best is what we can say about him. How how do you go from 31 points to 10 points, right? But he's had that before. After his 31-point game in Game 6 of the Western, Western Conference Finals, he went down to 22. Had a pretty poor shooting night. So, you know, Booker's not a guy that I feel like you can rely on, especially if you're going with prop plays. Chris Paul, well, 19, 23, 32, 41, 22. He's all over the place for points as well. What I do see with Chris Paul, though, is nine assists, eight assists, nine assists, eight assists, eight assists. If you can get the eight assists tonight, go for it. He's at home. Eight assists. Chris Paul's getting it. <laughs> right? I mean, Chris Paul's getting his eight assists tonight. I, I, that's the number. So, I, you know, you look at this game and I go, look, I, I think the Suns win. They're at home. It's hard to overlook how good defensively they've been at home. Again, I know they've struggled against Giannis. I know Aton might not be 100%. Um, I, I get all that. The Suns are back at home. I've been a Milwaukee backer here. I've talked uh, lovingly about Milwaukee. We made a lot of money when before the playoffs started, I told you guys, take Milwaukee and take Philly plus 300, plus 400, Basically betting against the Nets. We all made money if you listen to me there. This is the one spot where I'm saying I just don't buy into Milwaukee. On the road, with that crowd, CP3 with a chance to to really take a stranglehold on this series. I just can't see it. Because even with a fantastic out-of-this-world performance by Giannis, which he might have, even then, I still think they need too much on the back end. I still think they need too much from someone else. Middleton has been good, not great. And they need that secondary scorer. The Suns went into game two and said, we're going to let Giannis go crazy. They let him go crazy. He had uh, an amazing stat line. They still won the game. They still won the game. Now, game three, he had an amazing stat line and they lost, but they're still going to go with that that philosophy. So you want to go with Giannis prop plays today? You want to go crazy with Giannis prop? I'm not, I'm not going to hold you back. I'm not going to go against it. I get it. I get the mindset. He dominates on the inside. I get I get all, all the conversation about it. What I'm telling you, though, is look at Phoenix. Because I think Phoenix is the better bet here. I lean the under, clearly lean the under. Um, for Game 5 because of what Phoenix has done defensively at home, and the at-home thing has been the story of the series for me. At-home Bucks in Game 3 I gave you. At-home I'm going back to the Suns in Game 5. I like that philosophy. Chris Paul, if you get the 8 assist, I'm going with it. I think he has a big game. I'm not the biggest Chris Paul fan, but this spot at home, where I said it again, uh, give me Chris Paul. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. I'm Tom Bart for Wagering Week. Thank you again to Chuck T. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. <laughs>
This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.